All right, if you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. We're going to read uh, the first several verses in that chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, First of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth and I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should be praying, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask for you to move in us as we hear your word. Lord, as we put ourselves before your word and before your will, Lord, we pray that we would joyfully pursue your patterns and your priorities and your purpose in our life. We pray this in your name. Amen. Michael Blue likes to say a lot of things. Uh, Michael Blue says one thing that I wanted to mention this morning. He says that there are two rules for life, two rules for ministry, I think is what he said, but they kind of apply widely. He says number one is be flexible, and number two is love God. Now, he's exaggerating that a little bit. Obviously, love God comes first before be flexible. But, but he wants us to know, listen, you've got to be ready for just about anything. And let me tell you, if you had written that advice down at the beginning of 2020, that might have been kind of helpful. Be flexible. Love God. Two great tools to move uh, forward. I think if you were to ask our kids what our number one rule was, they would kind of look puzzled uh, at Susan and I, maybe mostly at me. They would look uh, puzzled because they would say, we didn't have a number one rule. We had like rules number one through 100. Uh, that, that's what we had. And so they would kind of look, well, there was a lot of rules. I, I don't know if it was just one, but does, but does your life have... Something that you would say like as a number one rule, maybe it's something you've got on the refrigerator or hanging over the door of your house or in your shop or something you've uh, emblazoned in, in your, your daytime or your planner or something like that. Here is the number one rule for life. It's interesting as we look here at 1 Timothy, because here in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is in jail. Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. And so he's kind of giving instruction on how to care for this church that we've been paying attention to in this series called uh, A Church Story. And really what's interesting is that in chapter 1, it's this really really rambling introduction where Paul kind of hits the highs and the lows. Here's some of the things that we're struggling with. Here are some things that are great. And he's really just kind of setting the, the tone. All of chapter 1 is just kind of throwing out there a couple of context issues that Timothy has to deal with. But when he gets to chapter 1, he says, now, let's talk about the things that I really, really want to talk about. And in fact, if you'll notice what he says there in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, first of all. Basically, he's saying, here's the number one rule. 
Here's the number one rule that I want you to remember. Now, I want to be careful that I don't just preach a sermon and base the whole thing on one translation of Scripture. And so I spent a little bit of time this week checking multiple translations of Scripture, and every single one of them begin with chapter 2 and verse 1 saying, first of all, He says, here's the first thing that I want you to know. Here's the first thing that I want to emphasize to you. Here is the number one priority for you. And he says, I urge you of these things. Did did you notice what it was as we read the passage a few moments ago? He says the number one thing, the number one rule, what I would wish for the church at Ephesus, and I believe that he would wish for our church today, is that you be a praying church, a people of prayer. A church that prays. He says, out of all the things, here's the thing. First of all, and he kind of begins it at the beginning of that chapter. He puts it in the middle of that chapter. He puts it at the end of that phrase, too. He says, I wish that men were praying everywhere, lifting holy hands, and that everywhere you went, you would see men in prayer, visibly in prayer, powerfully in prayer, because what he wants is for the church, the people of God, to be a praying people. Now let's unpack this a little bit more specifically uh, this morning. I I would want you to notice in this passage of Scripture that we are to pray for everyone. We are to pray uh, for everyone. Now there's a couple of things for us to think about as we take a look at here. First of all, there is this word cluster here in verse 1. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Do you know the exact differences between all of those words? Uh, The supplications, the prayers, the intercessions, and the thanksgiving? Here's the thing. I think that a lot of time these words are used as a cluster of words that are supposed to surround one thing. I don't necessarily think he's talking about four different things. He, he is trying to describe the same thing in four different ways. And in fact, one of the great commentators of Scripture, John Calvin, he comes to this passage and he says, you know what, to be honest with you, I can't really tell you that I know the difference between those four words. It is a cluster of words circling one thing. Now, as I tried to, well, first of all, I I wanted to do a better job than John Calvin. Uh, But as I I look at this and try to understand these words, here's a couple of things that I I did. I noticed that when it talks about supplications, the focus there, the angle there that you're looking at in terms of supplications is on need. There's a sense of desperation. There is a need to be rescued. When he talks about prayers, it is a conversation with God. It is an entry point into the presence of God. You can't pray to anything other than God. If you're talking to God, it's prayer. If you're talking to anyone else, it's not prayer. Prayer is a divine interaction. In terms of the word intercession, my understanding of the word intercession is that it is an audience with power. It is coming before someone who is above you, who has the ability to do things on your behalf. And when he talks about thanksgiving, he reminds us that we are supposed to be expectant because he is a God who will get things done. So we come out of our need, a conversation with God, an audience with power, believing that he will do things. Now what I want you to notice 
is I want you to notice that focus. Now our eyes may be drawn into verse 2 where it says we are to pray for kings and people in high positions. But before we get to that, in verse 1 he says, who I want you to pray for is all of the people. All right, so let me sum this up for you. Who are you supposed to pray for? Everyone. How you doing on that? I mean, everyone. I did not Google this morning what the current world population is, but, but we're on the north side of six, seven billion people today. The Word of God says that you are supposed to pray for everyone. No pressure. Pray for everyone. How on earth? Do we live this out in our lives? How, how on earth do we live this idea that God calls on us to be uh, supplication and prayer and intercession and thanksgiving for all people? How do we do that? Well, I got to tell you, I don't have that entirely worked out in my life. But, but here are some things that, that I think that help us move us in that direction to where we're closer to that. If we're going to pray for all people, it's quite likely we're going to need to pray a little bit more. Whatever amount that we are praying right now, it is quite likely that we would benefit from praying a little bit more. If we're going to squeeze in everyone on the earth into our prayer life, we may need to get up a little bit earlier. We may need to stay awake a little bit longer in the day. So we're going to have to expand whatever amount of prayer that we are currently in the midst of. We need to pray some more. We need to really establish some patterns for prayer in our life. I don't know what your prayer pattern is, but you've got to find some places where there is a groove where you stop and you pray. For some folks for a long time, it's been, I pray before I go to sleep at night. And I've got a list of people that I pray for. Sometimes a family gathers together and prays at the end of the day. Sometimes your groove may be, I pray in the morning as I'm getting ready for the day and I begin to process what's in front of me today. And instead of just making a to-do list, but I make that a to-pray list and I start praying through the things that I'm going to deal with today. Sometimes we can use our vehicle time, our drive time as a place in which we can pray and just kind of use that turn off the radio, turn off the, the noise and just use that time in traffic uh, to pray. Maybe it is when you take a break at work, you set aside that one of my breaks is going to be a break in which maybe I, I go for a walk and I pray or I go sit in my car or I go to the break room and I pray through some things that I need to be praying for. Maybe it's while you're putting your kids down to sleep. I, I don't know where your routine is. But I would say if we're going to be obedient to what God has for us to be in prayer for everyone, then we need to be praying. We need to expand the length of our prayer time. Probably there's very few of us that would say, you know, when I evaluate my life, I think I pray too much. Uh, I don't think that there's very many of us that, that would claim that title and say, you know what, I've got to rearrange my life because I think I'm praying too much. Uh, maybe it is true. It has yet to be true for my life. I also think that if we're going to pray for everyone, we need to expand how we see the people around us. You know, the, the truth is that there are some people that we are just naturally drawn to. There are people who are just going to naturally be our friends. There are some people who we just naturally congregate with. And it's easy to kind of pray for those people. They're the people who are on our hearts. They're people that we care for already. They're the first people on our prayer list. But you know, there's also some people in our life that I don't know why it is. 
It's some of the way in which we're wired. It's some of the way in which we're miswired by sin. Uh, but, but there are some people that we don't even see. We can go through the whole day, and there are people that surround us that we don't even notice, and certainly our hearts and our compassion never stirs in their direction. It's really hard to see everybody, but just for whatever reason, we just don't see them. So there are some people that our hearts that are drawn to, some people that we don't even see, and then if we're just going to be honest for a moment, there are also some people that, that we wish we didn't see. Is that true? Every once in a while, there are some people like, oh, man, I'm going to try to walk the other direction so I don't see them, so I don't encounter them. I'm going to change the time that I go to such and such a place because I don't really want to pass them in the hallway or see them. My life's going to be a whole lot easier if I go down this aisle in the store instead of this aisle in the store so that I miss them. But the Word of God comes to us that we are to pray for everyone including those folks that our hearts so easily knit with and connect to and that we're drawn to, but also to kind of open our eyes a little bit and see some people that we don't normally see. And even we're supposed to pray for some of the folks that we just kind of wish we didn't have to interact with. See, the Word says that we are to pray for everyone. We also can be reminded that prayer really matters because there's not a single person who has ever drawn breath that doesn't need the alive movement of God inside of their lives. You know, sometimes we can look at people, people that we know, people that we don't know, people we see up close, people we see at a distance, and we say, you know what that person really needs? You know, and sometimes we can see some things that they can't see. We can see some blind spots that they don't see. We can say, you know what that person really needs is they need to work on their anger. They need to work on this. They need to work on whatever it is. We, we can look at that and say, you know what that person really needs? Anyone ever do that? All right, cool. You know, this worked real well in the first service. Uh, but our tendency is to think, you know what that person really needs? Let me tell you, that whatever it is that you list as what that person really needs, that list starts at number two. Because the number one thing that they really need is the alive movement of God inside of their life. That's what they need above everything else. So whether it be money, whether it be anger, whether it be relationship, whether it be uh, dependence, or whatever it may be, the number one thing that they need is the movement of God inside of their lives. Now, we have great news about that. He comes to do that. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 uh, tells us, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through Him, through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. The number one thing that people need is the alive movement of God in in their lives, and you know what God says? Through the divine power of Christ, there is everything that they need for life and godliness. They need God. God says, I've got exactly what they need. And so when we begin to see people that maybe we hadn't noticed before, when we begin to realize that what they need more than anything else is the alive movement of God in their life, then it enhances and drives us to prayer. Let me tell you the number one thing that your spouse needs is the alive movement of God in their life. The number one thing that your kids need is the alive movement 
of God in their lives. The number one thing that that neighbor that you don't even know their name needs is the alive movement of God. The number one thing that your pastor needs is the alive movement of God in my life. And so we pray for that, for everyone, because we need it. And that's the greatest thing that, that we can see in a person's life is that alive movement of God in their life. And secondly, what I want you to hear is that I want you to see here is that, the prayer, that we have prayer, not just for everyone, but also for people in power and influence. Now, of course, this passage of Scripture, Paul's experience here, Timothy's experience here, the church in Ephesus is coming in a different time, a different place with a different system of government. But here in this passage of Scripture, he says, be in prayer for all kings and for all those who are in high places. Because there is a reality that government impacts our life. Did you know that? Government impacts our life. Now, what I want you to see here is that Paul had experienced the impact, or even, shall I say, the pinch of government on his life, his entire ministry, which is kind of ironic because before he was called to the ministry, he was, he was the one doing the pinching. He was the one that was impacting other people's lives, carrying around warrants for arrests for the church and the believers. And so Paul knows what it's like to have the impact, the pinch of government on them. And so he says that we are to pray for all kings and all people of influence, all those in high places. But I want you to notice what he prays for. I want you to see in this passage of Scripture how he prays for the issue of a government and a church. The first thing that he prays for is that he prays for space. He prays, he says here in verse 2, for kings and all those who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What he asks for is he asks for space and for room and so that we would feel less of the pinch of government than we can. In fact, what he would say is that he would ask for government to do the role of keeping us safe and protected so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, dignified and godly. There's a great example of this in Acts chapter 19. It happens to be one of the stories of Paul in the city of Ephesus. I love this story in Ephesus because the church is growing there in Ephesus. Paul has been there for two to three years, and the church is growing and is having impact. And in fact, it tells us in Acts chapter 19 that the entire region knows about the name of Jesus because of the ministry that's happening there in Ephesus. And that ministry is growing and having a profound impact, so much so that it is changing the economic structure of the city. You see, the city, one of its number one industries was the temple of Artemis. It was this temple. It was the tourists that would come to worship in this temple. And then it was the people that made all the souvenirs and all the reminders and all the trinkets and all the idols that would be sold to the people who came to the temple of Artemis. And all of a sudden they are realizing less people are coming to the temple, less people are buying their stuff. And it's because the name of Jesus is outshining the name of Artemis. And so a couple of the silver craftsmen, 
Or the craftsmen of silver, they weren't made of silver, they were making silver, just to be clear about that. Some of the craftsmen of silver, I still can't get it right. Some of the craftsmen began to whisper to one another, we got to do something about this. We, we got to do something about this. This is a terrible thing. And really what began to happen is that they began to make some noise in the streets and they began to probably get some ruffians involved in the conversation. And all of a sudden you have a riot in the city of Ephesus. And they begin to push people through the town. And in fact, they get pushed, it tells us, into the theater. If you got here early, you watched the video of the archaeological sites of Ephesus. That's the theater that Paul and all of the people in the city were pushed into. And there was a riot, and they were going to get Paul to speak. And his friends say, Paul, maybe this would be a good one for you to sit out. And it was a very, very dangerous situation until the city clerk stands forward and says, listen, everybody needs to go home. Listen, that city clerk was probably a pagan person who had a whole room full of those silver souvenirs from the temple of Artemis. He was probably friends with a lot of those craftsmen. But because of his position in government, he said, everyone go home. This is dangerous. We need to be a safe community. That's what we pray for our government leaders. That they would use their power, their authority to give us safety, to give us security, and to give us space in which we can live our lives for Christ. We also pray for our kings and those who are in high places because we pray that we would have opportunity to have a voice. Not a voice to have our, voice, our vote counted, but a voice so that our gospel can be heard. Take a look at this in verse 3. He says, at the end of this, he says, so that we may have a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Why are we praying for government? Why do we want quiet and dignified lives? So that all people can come to know Christ and the power of salvation through Jesus. That's the assignment. That's the task. That's the message that we have. I want you to notice in this passage, it says this is a God who desires every person who has ever drawn breath to be saved. And if we pray for government, when we pray for government, we are praying that whatever government does, it makes it more possible for more people to come to know Christ. Now, you and I live in a nation that have been granted more freedom in this area, probably than any other nation in the entire world in all of history. And we are grateful for that. And there are some ways in which this has become one of the great nations in proclaiming the gospel both here and around the world because of that freedom. But I would also tell you, that is not a birthright to us. We do not have a birthright that says you are a believer in Christ and so therefore you're always going to live in a place and a circumstance and an environment where it is easy to speak the gospel and share the gospel. If we were to jump back to Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have just healed a man. He stands up, he's walking and leaping and praising God and it's a great moment. The whole city is coming out to listen to him. Everyone's happy except for the government authorities that crucified Jesus. 
And they call together Peter and John. They throw them into jail. They have them beaten. And they say, listen, we're going to let you go. The only deal we have to make is that you stop speaking about Jesus. Now, these are the guys that ran away in fear because they didn't want the same thing to happen to them that had happened to Jesus. This was the same government panel that had arranged the crucifixion of Jesus. And so they wave their fingers at these guys and say, don't you dare talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John says, I don't know what you would say to do, but if you give us a choice between obeying you and obeying God, we're going to have to obey God every single time. The government officials shake their fists at them some more and send them home. Peter and John regather with the church and they pray. And you know what it is that they pray for? They don't pray for a change in that government. They don't pray for a change in the persecution. What they pray for is that they will have more boldness. We don't have a birthright as believers in Christ to any level of ease in our witness. We are grateful for everything that we have. But there are people throughout history, there are people around the world today that have never even had a whiff of the freedoms that we have. And if something were to happen where our freedoms were changed, it does not change the assignment that we've been given. We pray for government to give us space and to give us a voice. And when it doesn't, we don't lose our voice no matter what. We also pray for a harvest. Now, can I share with you an observation that I have made, and it's not always a popular observation. But I will tell you that one of the greatest challenges the American church faces is the, the distraction of partisan politics. What I would tell you is that the rearranging of political power was never, has never, and will never be part of the Great Commission. What becomes an issue for us is because we are asking politics to do what only the gospel can do. If you really want to change politics, if you really want to change America, then we change people through the gospel. We keep wanting to change people through politics, and it works never of the time. It just doesn't. If we really want to see a transformation, we do that through the gospel, not through the ballot box. We can change political parties. We can change laws. We can change all this kind of stuff. But, but I want to tell you, that stuff is so shallow and has so little impact on the souls of America. Now there are a lot of people that are telling us that's the most important thing that we have to do. Now, let me be clear. This is an election year. So you should go vote. We live in Louisiana. You should vote two to three times. It is your patriotic duty. But the church has a different assignment. Go vote. 
But if you want to change your neighborhood, if you want to change America, if you want to change the world, that's the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. And because there are so many voices that want our attention, want our money, and want our votes, they keep telling us that politics is the way we're going to change our neighborhood and our country and the world, and it's a lie. But they will cash your checks, take your votes, and steal the energy and purpose of a church. As an American... I love election years. I've always loved politics. I've always loved history. I love election years. As a pastor, not so much. Because I see us get distracted and distracted and distracted. It's interesting, in this verse it says that we are to have supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving. The word intercessions only appears in 1 Timothy in the entire New Testament, only in this chapter. And remember, the word intercessions means to have an encounter with someone of power. I think that there's an emphasis here that says, listen, we're going to talk about kings and people in high places, but if you want access to power... That's prayer. Pray for that king. Pray for those people in high places because government pinches, government changes, government shapes. But if you want to know where the power is, the intercession happens on our knees before the presence of God. I have one more place that we need to look at and then we'll do this quickly. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus one other letter. He wrote it a year earlier. It's the book of Ephesians. And I just want to take a look at Ephesians chapter 6 because we're going to talk about the fact that we have to pray beyond what we can see. In verse 10 it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what I'm talking about. What we're wrestling is not political parties. That's flesh and blood. What we're wrestling is the movement and the spirit of darkness versus the movement of light that comes through Jesus Christ. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you may extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now listen in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. As for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We are to pray. We are to pray even beyond the things that we see that are flesh and blood. Let me quickly give you 
three quick applications in terms of what now. Because we were supposed to be a people of prayer, let me encourage you in this week to number one, pray for something, someone that you have never prayed for before. Pray for someone that you have never prayed for before. Maybe you just haven't seen them. Maybe you haven't noticed them. Maybe you haven't met them. Maybe you haven't thought that they're a person that you should pray for. But this week, pray for someone that you have never prayed for before. Number two, let me challenge you to pray for something that you have never prayed for. You know, there's a list of things that we're really good at praying for. We're, we're, we're good at praying for people's health. We're, we're, we're good at praying for good grades. We're, we're good at praying for jobs. All of those things are fine. But let me challenge you to pray for some things in the spiritual world, deeply, deeply spiritual things. And would you pray for something that you've never prayed for before this week? And then thirdly, at least once this week, would you pray instead of speak? Would you pray instead of speak? Boy, how often we just jump in and we say something. Oh, we jump in and we have an answer. We, have, oh, we jump in and we give somebody advice. We jump in and, and say some kind of remark. Maybe in this week, just as you're about to say something out loud, may God remind you that if you really want to have influence in that moment, you'll have it by prayer rather than just a word thrown in that place. Pray for someone you've never prayed for. Pray for something you've never prayed for. And at least once this week, pray instead of speak. Do you think you can do that? Man, I want to hear your stories. I want to hear how God does that in your life this week. So as God kind of gives you a chance to apply one of those, would you, would you send me a note? Most of you have my cell number. You can catch me on Messenger. You can email me, however it is. I'd love to hear how God unfolds this in your church. I got a text message from somebody on their way home from church. They had already prayed in their house one time already because they had wanted to say something. Uh, so maybe you can get out of the parking lot. I don't know. But tell me your story. I want to know how God unfolds this in your life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, man, we want to be your people. We want to look more and more like you. We want to sound more and more like you. And Lord, if your number one assignment, your number one rule for the church there in Ephesus, that they be a people of prayer, Lord, I pray that we would start to see that in our own church, that we would be a praying people that we'd be a church of prayer, that people would walk in here and that they would feel these walls have heard prayers because this church prays. Lord, help us to pray with expectation. Help us to pray with humility. Help us to pray for the very things that you would have us to pray for. We pray these things in your name.